welcome to Just Needs, a podcast where we talk about parenting children with disabilities. I'm your host, Christina Kozik, and I'm so glad you're here. This podcast is a project of Exceptional Lives, a nonprofit organization that supports families like yours. You can learn more about Exceptional Lives at our website, www.exceptionallives.org. This week, friends, I am back with another interview. And so today I am talking to Julia Roberts, um, not that Julia Roberts, as she says on, on her website, but uh, this Julia has spent a lot of time advocating for children with medical and mental health um, care needs and for children with learning disabilities. Julia, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So can you tell your listeners um, a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. Um, I am married with two children. My husband and I have been together 35 years. (laughs) Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, (laughs) It'll be 29 years this month, actually. And um, we have two adult children. They're 24 and 21. One is going to be 22 next week, actually. And um, they were born with a a rare genetic disorder that was actually just discovered because my kids participated in a NIH um, test. And and so they were able to find this gene. And this gene is super rare. And it includes a couple of kidney diseases, a liver disease, a vision disorder, and an underdeveloped cerebellum, um, there's just a little piece that's developed differently. And so that creates some processing disorders and also okay. ad- adds to that vision disorder. They can see 20-20, they can see perfectly, but their um, movement horizontally is affected. And so if you can imagine everything that you do for education is impacted by your reading. Absolutely. <laughs> which is the hardest thing for them to do. And so, you know, they've had uh, IEPs since they were in school. Uh, My son did not go through Babies Can't Wait. He went through a different program. My daughter's went through baby, my daughter went through Babies Can't Wait and went directly into an inclusive preschool. And so uh, we've had a lot of IEP meetings. We've had a lot of um, other meetings. you know, reboot meetings, uh, emergency meetings, uh, because of the medical and mental health, um, because of the medical issues, there had, has been a lot of childhood trauma with the kids. And so there were a lot of mental health issues that we needed to manage with them. And our educators, uh, really did an amazing job with us. They were really partners. They, uh, really took care of us in, in many ways. And so we are very lucky that they, um, really had a place to thrive, even though they had so much going on. Uh, my son was in dialysis. They both had kidney transplants when they were eight. Oh, wow. Um, first and second grade. And then um, uh, recently they had uh, transplants. My daughter, uh, a year ago in July, had a kidney and liver transplant. And my son had a kidney transplant. Okay. And that was in February. And so kidneys don't last forever or transplanted organs don't last forever. And so we needed to get on it again, right? As adulthood came. So they are now in a healthy, stable place where we can kind of help them launch now. They're a little bit behind on that just because they were so ill. Our daughter's in school um, and she works at a preschool a few days a week. And then our son is just 
getting over his transplant from the beginning of the year. And so, you know, he's looking for his next step as well. Oh, amazing. That is, um, you know, something that just popped in my brain as you were saying that is like, I never realized, I guess, that transplants, you know, transplanted organs don't last forever. And um, yeah, that's, that's incredible. And so I have a, a question is baby, you used to call it baby steps. Babies can't wait. Babies, Babies can't, can't wait. wait. Okay. Is that the early intervention yes. program? Okay. Okay. That's so, what Georgia yeah. calls it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it, I'm in Louisiana and we call it uh, early steps. And so okay. I, I kind of figured it was, yeah. it was along those same lines. Zero but to I just three. Wanted to, yes. Zero yes. to three. Yeah. Yeah. I just that's wanted to saying. clarify. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, that's one of the things that I, I, bring up from time to time on the podcast is, you know, I'm in Louisiana. And so the information and the knowledge that I have is primarily based here on the state that I'm in, but we have these programs all over the state. And so they may be called something else, but um, they're there. And so, you know, getting, letting parents know that, that they're there is always a huge, I think one of the the first stepping stones, right? Is just knowing Mm -hmm. that there's a program that they can um, get in contact with and get evaluated is, uh, is huge. I didn't know it for my son. My son had a vision disorder, was diagnosed at a year. And then we went back at 18 months for just a recheck with the neurologist. And he said, he has got to be in therapy. He was already 18 months. And so he sent us through like the hospital, the children's hospitals, therapeutic department, And Mm -hmm. so I never heard of Babies Can't Wait until my daughter was born. And so by then we kind of, you know, were better burst in what was going on. (laughs) But he was diagnosed with the vision disorder to begin with. And she was, when she was born, she was diagnosed with the disease, the kidney disease. And so then we realized they both had each. And so that's kind of where it started. But yeah. Yeah. And that, that's another, you know, I only have one child, so I, you know, the information that I have and the knowledge that I have, I try to share with other people because a lot of times you you know one thing, but maybe not the other. Um, And so sometimes when there's that, that crossover, it's good to know um, where to go and how to, how to get started. We were in a very similar boat. We did not, my son didn't start showing behavioral issues until he was over three. So we were too old for early intervention, but we just didn't even know that that was an option. We didn't even know that that was someplace that we could call and they could at least say, oh, he's too old for this. Try this. Um, So again, just getting that basic information to families is always so important. Um, Now, it sounds like you've done, I mean, you've been advocating for these uh, young adults now since they were they came into the world. Um, and we often hear a lot of the same kind of basic advocacy tips, right? Like make sure you document everything, research everything. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, take care of yourself, take, you know, make sure you're your <laughs> spouse or your partners taking care of themselves. But I feel like there's maybe some stuff that's very specific to advocating for a medically complex child that I wouldn't think about because I don't have a medically complex child. What are some things that have popped up over the years that you could share with, with families that would be very specific to this? 
sure. to, and, to you know, medically complex children. Sure. And I don't think it only applies to medical kids. I think it applies to kids who are complicated, who need a <laughs> lot of intervention, whatever that is. It could be a lot of, um, you know, therapy. It could be a lot of um, OT, PT, speech, feeding. Right, you know, right. It doesn't always just have to be medically. Um, it just is my perspective is coming from having to raise kids as, as typically as possible in a non-typical environment, which right. is a lot of appointments. Um, you know, and when I mean appointments, I mean, I, I added up my daughter's last IEP meeting at her senior year. I added up and it was, I had like 200 meetings at, at both of their schools over the years between wow. emergencies and non-emergencies and IEP meetings and reboots. And so um, that's a lot. So that doesn't leave room for um, the typical stuff usually. Um, you know, uh, tips are, are things I don't think people really think about. For starters, uh, when they were teeny tiny and they had a lot of appointments through our early intervention and through his therapy, uh, I think at one point we had 13 appointments a week between oh the two gosh. of them, between OTPT feeding and speech and vision. And uh, we made one day sacred. I just never made an appointment on Thursdays. Thursdays, we stayed in our pajamas. We didn't go anywhere. Uh, if somebody wanted an appointment on the day, we would always say no. And uh, I just held that day sacred. Uh, and to that, to this day, uh, the we talk about it because it was really um, the day we would go to the zoo or the day, honestly, we would stay in our pajamas. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right. And so it also not only giving me a break, but really giving them a break, just a mental break in the middle of seven days um, yeah. to let them recharge. I also, um, little things like, uh, I think maybe... I don't know, a few years into it, I just decided to try to make my life easier. And, you know, I started using paper plates. I really relaxed my, um, yeah, <laughs> my rules and my, uh, you know, my standard of what, you know, I wanted us to sit around the table and, um, you know, have a dinner like June Cleaver. And, uh, it really wasn't that, you know, our, our, our son had some behavior issues because of the mental health um, situation. And we were just happy to even be in the same room sometimes. And I decided I, that that was okay. And, I, I understand that for sure. <laughs> yeah. So we relaxed. Um, and to this day, we eat on paper plates a lot. If, uh, it's, a, if it's a certain type of meal, we do that. Um, we also relaxed on what I consider dinner. <laughs> um <laughs> My, and I don't feel guilty about it at all. I don't think I ever did feel guilty, but I know some people have it in their mind that they have to have these elaborate, you know, um, uh, dinners for their kids that have all the food groups. You know, I was happy to have cheese crackers and, you know, some fruit. And right. um, at least for me and the kids, my husband traveled a lot, so I could be more flexible with that because he prefers like real food. Uh, but you know, uh, we do sandwich, you know, we did sandwiches and soup if it was easy. Um, I did try to plan out a little bit, but with medical and mental health issues, you can't always say what your day is going to be like. There could right. be a really, really bad breakdown during the day that, you know, uh, uh, you could have a three hour, 
behavioral situation that you have to deal with in an upset child for a really long time. So you have to kind of just triage, triage right. having the worst day <laughs> and who needs more help and who needs more support and you call in reinforcement. So I was never afraid to call in friends. I am, am a super asker for help. I don't have any qualms um, about accepting help or asking for help. And I think uh, that if someone is in a situation where they have an intense life, an intense parenting life, yeah. that that is probably the number one thing they should work on first is being okay with accepting help um, in whatever forms that comes. You know, a friend of mine uh, isn't really a baby's person. You know, she's mm -hmm. not really a, like, I'll come over and get your kids. Um, but, you know, she could do some grocery shopping and she could drop presents off in the mail and she could, you know, arrange a lawn guy to come take care of our lawn. So uh, people can help in different ways. And I always had a little list handy of what I needed done that wasn't, you know, weren't emergencies that people could help me with. Uh, so that is a big, um, I think all of my friends will tell you, I'm a very good asker of help and acceptor <laughs> <laughs> um, because I often um, pull them into our lives. And I yeah. think that's why I'm so open and that's why the kids are so open. We just have a big, you know, group of people who care about us. And right. I think in doing that, in getting them involved in your life, part of it is them knowing what's going on. Right. right. If they right. don't know that you're struggling, if they don't know it's really hard, if they don't know you're sad or happy or whatever, uh, then they don't really know where to help. And so we are not private. Um, we don't tell everything, of course. There's a lot people don't know, um, but we have always been public. Uh, we started being public with the mental health issues. I'm sorry, with the medical challenges. And then when the mental health turned into something, we really didn't feel like we could hide that because right. then that would have been sh telling the kids that it was shameful and that it was something to hide. Right. And so we couldn't go back up, you know, we couldn't back up <laughs> and it was challenging, yeah. you know, this was 2010. And so a lot more is talked about right now about mental health. And, and so we were kind of on the front end of that and it was difficult, um, but it also really taught a lot of people. I've had people in the subsequent 10 or 15 years tell us that, you know, they think about our situation when they see a friend going through um, an issue. They don't shy away from people who have traumatic mental health issues in their family, um, which is often isolating. And so we... Um, we ask for help and we take it. <laughs> That's my huge <laughs> big tip. And also, I mean, little things, you know, don't be afraid to make things easier. You know, send out your laundry. Absolutely. Um, you know. It's okay to wear leggings seven days a week. Right. Uh, right. You know. No, that's so my husband uh works offshore. So for listeners who may not, you know, know what that is, um, my husband leaves for three weeks at a time and he's on on a boat or on a rig um, out in the water somewhere and so while we can communicate he can't just hop on a plane and come back home if something comes up and um and so and it's been like that since before my son was born so 
when we were really struggling um, back when, you know, a few years back when my son was about three and a half, four, um, I did a lot of the things that you're saying. We kind of um, tried to simplify some things. And even now when my husband's gone, if we've had a day where it's just been a rough day for my kid at school, I'm tired. Um, you know what, then yeah, we're going to order pizza again, and <laughs> or we're going to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches um, on paper plates, like you said. And so we have also, you know, gotten to the point where we will ask for help when we need it. And it's not always easy. That's always, I've, I was, you know, very independent before my son was born. Um, I was always a person that if you called me, I would gladly drop what I was doing and come help. And so it was very, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was hard because I didn't have time for it to be hard, <laughs> but it, it, there was that shift. And so, yeah, that's definitely one of those things, being able to ask for help and then being able to accept the help too. And, sure. and like you said, it's those things that, you know, no, I I don't necessarily need you to come and watch my kid, but you know, that, that grocery order has been sitting at, at Walmart for two days. Can you please <laughs> go pick it up for me or, you know, whatever that may look like. Um, and so, yeah, those are, like you said, not, not necessarily specific to medically complex kids. Sure. They're just, they're just for, parenting for really. those, for those <laughs> of us that are, are, you know, yeah, doing some intense parenting. I like that. I'm going to have to start calling it that because that is what it is. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess the other, the other thing that I would, I would like to ask you is you know, what is a, what is some advice that maybe you could give to um, a parent or a family who's maybe kind of just getting started? Maybe they just had a child and they're just finding out that there, there may be some medical concerns or, or things like that, that are, they're just starting on this journey. What, what is some, you know, advice that you would give them? Yeah, I think even depending on whether it's, um, you know, disability related, healthcare related, I think it all just falls under, like I said, that intense parenting title. Right. Um, so for us, some of the things that we have done that I still have been successful and helped us create still a family unit and still have a decent marriage and still be able to see friends and um, you know, I'm very good about seeing those friends and going on vacations mm -hmm. without my family and et cetera. Um, so I still do all of those things, but just to name a few things, um, I, I think we were really good, uh, about figuring out how to not let our emotions get too high or too low. Like okay. we, we always say we kind of stream in the middle a little bit. So when things are going great, we don't get too excited because something, you know, will probably happen. Uh, that doesn't mean we look for it or wait for it, right. but there's comfort in knowing that something probably will happen that is changing uh, things for our family. I know there's a lot to do with kidney and liver failure and, you know, uh, so we kind of just always expect there's going to be something, but we don't live like it's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. Okay. So for us, that means we don't get too depressed when things don't go our way, because a lot of times they don't, and we don't get too super excited when things are going great. Um, <laughs> that means we won't fall too hard when it's bad, 
And that means we don't have to climb up too far, you know, when it's good. So we really try to keep our emotions even kill um, for the long haul. It's a long haul when you're talking yeah. about things, uh, you're going to be an advocate for anything for your, your child for, you know, the next 20, sometimes 30, sometimes 40 years. Absolutely. Um, for some people, depending on what is going on with your child, uh, you know, you have to really um, pace yourself. And to me, that really means uh, taking it one day at a time, looking for, you know, fun, beautiful things because your kid and your family and possibly your other kids and family members, you know, they still need birthday parties and celebrations yeah. and holidays and get togethers and, you know, family picnics. And so you can't let it overwhelm your life, even though it is overwhelming. It certainly right. has been for us. Um, but the reason we are able to deal with it is because of some of the things, some of our friends, some of our family accepting help. I, I don't know. I can't tell you. I, I hear there's not another person that I've ever talked to in 20 some years of advocating and talking about my kids and advocating for him for them that have said accepting help is easy, except for me. Right. <laughs> right. There's not anybody who has said that. And I don't understand it. It's so <laughs> I don't know if, um, I don't know why that is. And I don't know why I learned that early. It was possibly my mother, but I think for us, my mom explained it to me once and she said, well, you know, help and friendships are like a river. Sometimes it's wide. Sometimes right. it's narrow. You have to throw it across. Sometimes you don't need anything so they can be far away. And so um, you would want to help somebody if they were in need. Right. And so you have to let people help you when you're in need. Yeah. You can't, it's hypocritical to only do it one way. You, and so right. I, I think that just opened up my world. And so that has, that is um, a huge thing for us. Also, I think um, we, <laughs> we, I, I'm like, does it only have to be one thing that one Oh, no, please, please share any, <laughs> any and all. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's important. Um, and I think some people have been shocked by the way we've been able to handle trauma. Um, and definitely our lives are traumatic and we've had therapy and we do outlets and we talk a lot. Uh, but for us, it has helped for us to keep moving. So, for example... Our son was, uh, when he was 10, um, was suicidal and had to be admitted into a, um, a mental health facility just to keep him safe um, because yeah. we didn't know what to do, right? And it was really traumatic for all of us. And my husband had a, a business trip. He was supposed to leave the next day. And he's like, I don't think I should leave. And I said, that's not how we do it. We have right. to keep moving. You have to still earn a living. We still have to, we have another child. We have to keep moving. And yeah. so I think that's just an example of how we're able to just uh, keep putting one foot in front of the other. We try not to let the trauma um, halt things uh, personally for our relationship, for our own personal growth and our own personal satisfaction and yeah. you know reward um i remember i was in a therapy session when uh probably my son was five so what 19 years ago <laughs> and the i was talking about some of the volunteer things that i do and I, you know sit on advisory committees and work for the disease foundation that my kids have 
And he said, why do you do so much volunteer work? You know, you can give some of that up. Your life is so stressful. And I said, I'm not willing to give up what I want to do for what I have to do. I still want to do what I want to do. And so my job is to find out how to make that possible and cut the corners where I can so that we can still have, you know, a life of meaning, a life of purpose, and also make it so uh, everybody in the family has what they need to be, you know, adjusted, nice humans. (laughs) Right. Um, And so I, my, I probably would say my biggest advice is to um, just know you're in it for the long haul and figure out the things that are life-sustaining for you um, yeah. to be okay with the trauma that can sometimes be intense parenting. Yeah. And so that is my, that's my biggest advice probably. You know, Julia, I really, really love everything that you just said. And um, I actually just had a conversation with my husband um, a couple of weeks ago. So I'm, we're very involved in our church and um, I do a lot on, on Sundays there. And um, I was approached and asked if I would, you know, take over for somebody and kind of take on some more responsibility. And my husband goes, you know, don't you think that's going to be too much? And I said, maybe I I won't really know until I kind of start doing it. I said, but it's something that I really love doing. So like, I really love the work that I do with Exceptional Lives. I really love the work that I'm doing at church. And, you know, right now for me, those are the two things that I can do um, without adding a bunch of extra stuff into our lives. And so, um, and he goes, okay, well then did I guess do it? (laughs) And, and that's something that I, I, on days when, you know, we have hard, intense days, that has been one of the things that I can say has been one second. That has been one of the things that kind of keeps me moving forward Uh, almost like you know sometimes it's like I can take off my my mom hat for a little while and I can put on this other hat and say okay let me focus on this work for a little bit almost even as a way of like a de-stressor because then I can kind of focus on something that I have control for me it's something that I have control over I can't I can't control this other human who um you know maybe for whatever reason, he's going through some kind of, you know, meltdown or he, you know, something like that. And after that intense episode is over, I need something that I can focus on that I can control. And so that's kind of one of those, um, one of those things. And so I really, really appreciate how you said that. And, um, yeah, we try to do, I try to do the same thing myself. So, and, you know, and that can, for some people, you know, it could be a hobby or a volunteer work, like you were saying, sure. or, or, you know, w- whatever that looks like. So it could be exercise. Awesome. It can be, you know, right. whatever that person needs, you know, but I find that um, it's okay to be somebody outside mom advocate, you know, right. activist, uh <laughs> IEP meeting, you know, leader, all of those <laughs> right. things, <Right. laughs> boo-boo kisser, <laughs> right. med, med dispenser, 
all of those things are super important. And I find those extremely rewarding because um, my kids are doing well. Uh, But, you know, I still want to be Julia who likes to sew and see movies and see her friends and go to the beach and, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And so how, how has kind of advocacy, if it has or hasn't changed, I guess is my question as your kids got older. So they're, um, as they kind of started transitioning into teenagers and now young adults, did you have to take a step back? Were they eager to advocate for themselves or, I mean, what did that look like? Yeah, I think it's, you know, probably you have to just take, let the lead of the child, you know, your child, child, your teen, your older teen, I would say we started really uh, letting them be in the decision making, you know, early, but definitely talking to doctors at 10, 12, 14, 16, I would leave the room, let the doctor talk. Uh, So really just trying to also, um, you know, give them some autonomy. Yeah. Um, You know, a lot of times we would do appointments together, even when they were little, we would do appointments together, you know, because we have the same doctors, you know, they have the same kidney doctors, same liver doctors, etc. So the two of them had appointments together. And I would insist on separate rooms for them, you know, after they were just little bitty, because I just wanted them to be able to feel uh, like they were just one person with a doctor instead of two. Absolutely. So I Absolutely. think that was important, an important like developmental thing. Uh, also, I let them take the lead. Um, their case is complicated. They have 20, 25 meds twice a day. They have multiple, multiple appointments a week. They manage, um, you know, uh, two different portals for their health care, uh, multiple lab appointments that they have to keep up with on a schedule and so I help them where they need help and so um, you know while they're staying here I my son lived away for a little bit so I didn't do his meds but he's living here and I'm helping him you know his meds have changed they're a little complicated it's a lot you know yeah yeah so I don't mind helping them while they're here but they definitely are taking more of a lead in how they want it managed Um, I would say the hardest, honestly, the hardest part, it's not talking to the doctors, it's not knowing their meds, it's the appointments, it's knowing it's the appointments and insurance. And so I try to just uh, have them with me when I'm talking to people, um, but they prefer me to get those calls and then include them. I think that's the hardest is the appointments and insurance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> like managing the appointment. <laughs> that, that's right. That that's yeah. hard for all of us. Right. I couldn't imagine having to do, you know, you, like you mentioned, not that they're doing that now, but you mentioned, you know, 13 appointments a week. Right. I mean, I, that blows my mind just because we we've never had to do that many appointments. And so, um, yeah, I would definitely ask I would definitely ask my mom to help too, if I, <laughs> if I could, um, especially cause you know, I, I handle the appointments and the, the insurance for our family unit as a whole. Right. And so, uh, yeah, it can, I could see how that would be very intimidating, honestly. And it's not an easy process. Like it's not, 
it's not an easy uh, system to navigate yeah. just in general um, for someone without, you know, medical uh, complexities. So well, yeah. they've just, you know, moved from children's healthcare at age, my son at 21 and my daughter at 19, they moved to adult, adult hospitals. That means a whole new system, a whole new oh team, gosh. all new numbers, all new hospitals, all new way to do things. And so I was new at it too. And right, so we right. were just, we're learning together. Together. Uh, yeah. We're just learning together. Is there, you know, that kind of um, brings up another question for me. Is there like, I mean, what does your system look like? Does it just like putting everything on like this big paper calendar on the wall? I mean, I know that's it's different for everybody. I'm still a, um, I'm, I'm half digital, half pen and paper, but I mean, what is that? what does that look like for, for your family? Yeah. Our calendars are digital. Uh, of course we keep their med list in their portals. So we have, okay. you know, good med lists on their portals. Uh, my daughter likes them, uh, set up differently, like on a spreadsheet. And so okay. we'll, you know, adjust them that way. So she can check them off as she puts them in the tray. Cause she does her month, her meds monthly. My son does them every two weeks. And so um, I'm also a paper girl. I I have a digital notepad though. So it's bridging the gap. Right. uh, For me, I have an ongoing uh, personal to-do list. And then because I have a couple of clients, I have a ongoing, you know, work list. And those, um, I try not to intersect them. And the, the personal list is just ongoing and it's long And, um, when I'm tired of going back too many pages to get something that I haven't done, I cross it off and I move it to the page that I'm on. Um, that's my system. My system is I just keep, you know, uh, chipping away at that, uh, to-do list, which is long, but again, it's triage, you know, sometimes you need to, um, get an appointment right away or, uh, there's a, a lab for us, it's a lab that doesn't look good. So they have to go into the doctor. So it's a triage situation too. I long yeah. for the days where I just think what's coming up, what appointment? Right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, uh, my husband asked, um, we recently had, uh, our annual, just our, our annual well exams. And he's like, when is that? It's coming up. Right. And I said, oh yeah, it's, it's, uh, whatever. And he goes, Oh, that's like two weeks away. And I was like, yeah, I look at the calendar the day of, and every day, you know, I look at like the next week, kind of almost like a rolling seven days, but I also like to take a peek at the, you know, following week after that. And he goes, Oh no, that's, I, I, and I was like, if I don't do it, something's going to get, you know, forgotten. Um, right. but yeah, so I do, I, I also have a, a rolling to-do list. It's actually right above my, uh, computer and, and as stuff gets done, it gets chipped off. I've been working on this particular list, uh, for about a year now. So <laughs> <laughs> as things, you know, as things get done and sometimes I do something and I don't even, you know, think about it and I get to go, Oh, I get to go cross it off the list. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I get a little, uh, a little dopamine <laughs> rush. It's the little things sometimes, <laughs> it is. isn't it? It is. It really is. Well, Julia, thank you so much for sharing with us. Um, before we, you know, close out, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners today? I don't think so. I just want to thank you for giving me the chance to do it. I think with so many 
you know, I'm not in the the day-to-day disability yeah. advocacy community anymore like I was when it was it was so heightened um, and now that they're older. But it's so nice to be able to share some experience also that people had shared with me, you know, when my Absolutely. kids were little, they had older older kids. And so um, I appreciate you just giving me the chance to do it. It's, it's uh, nice to be talking from this um, side of their age <laughs> right. and, and just know uh, it will, you'll get there, you'll make right. it and, um, you know, take care awesome. of yourself. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Julia. And um, with that, friends, we're going to, we're going to sign off. This podcast was hosted by me, Christina Kozik, for Exceptional Lives. You can subscribe and follow the podcast at our website, www.exceptionallives.org forward slash just needs podcast. Our website has hub pages and a disability services finder for Louisiana and Massachusetts. We would also love for you to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn by searching for Exceptional Lives. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. 